Welcome back guys, welcome back to Gen Alpha Talk and in today's episode I will be talking about the things to do before getting into college before like literally moving into college when you're in senior year of high school you know say goodbye to your friends and all that and then have uh, a month to prepare and then just move into dorm college at least in Thailand it was like that I don't know about other countries where I live where I know where I live you know so I'm trying to do research about education things and this idea just pops out of my head you know what do we need to do before you adjust your high school life living with your parents and moving into dorms maybe moving from uh, uh, two different countries, different states, different cities, staying in dormitories and stuff like that. So, each of the steps doesn't like of that big of a deal, and none of them is all that hard to do. But skipping any one of them can put your college plans on hold. This is why as many as one third of the students who are admitted to college don't attend the following fall because they forgot today to do something easy. So here's the list. Number one, your deposit to your college. In order to make sure they have enough room for all the students who plan on coming to campus, many colleges ask students to make a small financial deposit to the school once they've been admitted. In most cases, students have until May 1st of the senior year to send this deposit in. That students who have limited financial resources can request a waiver for of the deposit, but you have to ask for that waiver by May the first. This may seem like a small thing, but I hope you can see what c- could happen if a lot of students showed up in the fall who didn't put in deposits. Suddenly, there wouldn't be enough beds for students living on campus, or enough classes for students to take, or enough instructors to teach them. That's why they need to know you're coming. What about sending deposits to more than one school? It's also important to deposit at only one school. Some students who can't make up their minds about what college to attend will put in a deposit at more than one school on May the first. Then simply put, uh, simply show up that fall at one college they finally choose. That's a problem too, but for a different reason. If 100 students deposit at college, they don't show up in the fall, that means the college has too many bits and too many classes and not nearly enough money. Double depositing can literally cost the college millions of dollars in last tuition, and that's not a good idea. So don't forget to deposit and only do it once. Number two, finish strong. It probably goes without saying, but you still have to graduate from high school in order to go to college. When a college offers you admission, it's on the condition you earn your high school diploma and that you continue to do your strong work in your classes. That means you can expect the college will still want you to attend if your grades drop to ODs. You need to finish strong. This also applies to your conduct record at school. Some students make the mistake of thinking that getting into college allows them to skip classes, engage in pranks, or do nothing at school that take away from everyone's learning experience. You really want to think twice about doing anything like that. When your high school sent you in your transcript, they probably also had sent had to send in verification that you hadn't been suspended or disciplined for anything extreme while you were in high school. If that changes at the end of senior year, the high school has to report that to the college. And the college ha- can then revoke their offer of admission. The stakes are too high here, so take the high road.
Number three, final transcript. Since most college requires students to graduate from high school, you have to give the college proof you've earned your diploma. Most of the time, this is a pretty easy process. You tell your counselor what college you're going to, and they send a final transcript, transcript with the date of your graduation in it. This is the simplest part of giving up your college plans, but don't forget to do it. Number four, financial aid. Most students are done with the financial aid forms when they return to, uh, to a required part of a student aid report, or the SAR, or SAR, to the college. Indicating the student accepts the financial aid offer, the college has proposed. In other cases, the college will ask for additional materials to verify that you qualify for financial aid, including tax forms, letter from your employer or parents, employees, uh, sorry, parents, employers, uh, copies of bank statements, copies of mortgage payments, and more. There's no doubt that finding many of these forms can be time-consuming. If one of your parents live out of state, getting some of this information can just be plain hard. But the longer you wait to get started, the less time you'll have to actually submit the forms. And colleges just won't give you aid until all the right forms are submitted. If a college asks for verification materials, ask your parents to help in tracking down what you need. And if you need more time, call the financial aid office right away. This is the number one reason when students end up not going to college, so don't overlook these requests. Number five, orientation and registration. Some colleges don't consider your application complete until you attend an orientation to the college and register your classes. Most of these orientations are held in the summer, and you have to go online to register for them. Others are held for all students just a couple of days before school starts, as a way you need to attend. A few colleges don't offer an orientation program, but offer students the chance to register for classes online. If that's the case, they may require you to sign up for classes before you get to campus, with the condition that failure to sign up for classes by a certain date can mean you aren't coming to campus after all. Every college has its own unique requirement about orientation and registration. To read that information carefully, it's usually included with your layer of admission, but sometimes it comes in a separate email. Number six, email and colleges. Speaking of email, you're going to want to continue to check your email account until the day you leave for college. There certainly are faster ways to communicate with students, but texting isn't really the best way to send a long message. And hardly anyone reads snail mail anymore. Colleges email all kinds of email uh all kinds colleges email all kinds of requests to students, including verifications, transcripts, orientation information, and more. Check your email daily to the summer after senior year, and pay close attention to your spam filter. Colleges love to send emails in large batches. That means the important message they send you could be interpreted by your computer to be junk mail. Number seven, roommates. Not every student lives on campus during college. No college is known to require roommates to communicate before college starts. At the same time, it's a good idea to get to know a little of your future roommate ahead of time, if only to coordinate who's going to bring what to furnish the room, and what color sheets and towels they're both going to bring. Early communication is also a good way to build strong communication skills early, something that will come in handy when you're both running around like crazy trying to get to class and not having enough time to have meals together. Colleges offer all kinds of ways to connect over the summer. Take full advantage of them. Number eight, we have finances. 
The summer before college is also a time to talk with your parents about how to handle your college finances. Most colleges create a separate account for paying tuition, room, and co- and board, and parents generally have access to that account. Some colleges will also offer students a debit card that doubles as their student ID, allowing the students to make deposits and withdrawals on this account at college-based ATMs. Most students start college with a good understanding of how to manage a debit account, but few students have a firm grip on how to use a debit card. A, sorry, a credit card. Some parents will decide to add a college student to their credit card account, with the understanding that the credit card will only be used for emergencies. Other parents are more comfortable with having students call them when a big money purchase is necessary, and with making arrangements for such needs on a case-by-case basis. The decision to have a credit card is very much an individual one. Since students under twenty-five need an adult to go to co-sign on most credit cards, sources like CreditCard.com and BankRate.com can help you sort out the best best choice for you. Number nine, staying in college, the big three. If you're surprised by the number of students who never make it from high school graduation to college, you'll likely be just as amazed by the number of students who drop out of college in the first year. While the number of students who fail to return for two year year two varies greatly from college to college, it's not unusual for it to, it to be as high as one third of those who start as freshmen. If you're thinking a lot of this has to do with money, you're right. And one of the big reasons students run out of money is because they forget to ha- they have to file a new FAFSA every year they're in college. Beyond money, there are three big reasons students don't come back to college. Also, if they're relatable, uh, relate to the same important goal. Students can have a few to feel comfortable with college. It's important to take challenging classes, and there has to be enough to do to make college interesting outside the classroom. But the following three factors are the biggest reasons students give up on their college plans: practice disciplines as soon as possible. Number one, time management. The single biggest adjustment students have to make. To college is learning what to do with their free time. Since college classes only meet two or three times a week, and since most students are only taking four or five classes at a time, there will be lots of blocks of free time during a student's college days. It's easy to see why this would confuse most students. Even at high schools that offer block schedules, most classes are run back to back, with the only free time coming for a brief period at lunch. Having your first class and at ten a.m. and having a next one start at two p.m. No high school prepares you for that. The back to back format of high school has taught you how to make the most of your study time at night. Now it's time to learn how to make the most of your study time during the day. These tips, these study tips, can help you get started in the right direction. Give them a try and be patient with yourself. It may take a semester before you find your groove. The study tips are. Oh, I can't say it. No, no. Maybe I'll do my podcast about one podcast about this later. But you know, a while ago, I think I've done these kind of podcasts before, like study tips, how to study, study with me, and stuff like that. Go check that. Number two, office hours. It's a free time during the day is a mystery to most students. Office hours must seem like something from another planet. Designed to make sure students have every opportunity to ask questions from the instructors, office hours are held by every college professor, so students can come in and talk about any, anything related to class in a private setting. 
Office hours can be a real benefit for students in large classes who want to be something more than a faceless voice who asks a big question uh, in the middle of a large room. It can also be a big plus for students who are studying for upcoming assignments and who don't quite understand something they've read when reviewing on their own. Doing this in privacy of a professor's office is a real plus. The challenge is getting past the newness of the experience. How many times did you talk to the teacher uh, after class anywhere other than the classroom? I bet you don't do that in high school. Number three, balance your schedule. High school is a pretty intense experience. Six hours of nothing but studying, uh, followed by an hour of time off, if you're lucky, followed by dinner, followed by three more hours of studying, followed by sleep, and then repeat. You try and squeeze some time for friends and hobbies, but most of that happens on the weekends. Between you, between, you guess it, more studying. It may seem hard to believe, but class gives you a way to break out of the cycle of imbalance. Sure, you still have to study, since your classes meet less often. You can create blocks of free time during the day to study, and blocks of time during the day for other things, like exercise, lunch with friends, hiking, or even camping on weekends. Once you're done with college, your work schedule may require you to push your time free back to the edges of your life. Having only the weekends to research you revitalize. But this college, you get a chance to balance your life in a way everyone wishes they could. That's why colleges are one of the best years of people's lives without the tight schedules and stuff. You know it, everyone knows it. Jennifer Tog will say thank you. Hit the like button if you really find this uh, knowledgeful and I think you can adapt this with real life situations. Channel for Tobu say thank you. Hit the like, subscribe and share button. And goodbye.